0: Well, by way of uh, disclaimer, um, you know, when you prepare to teach God's Word, it usually, God usually uh, gives you insight from one of two places, um, <clears throat> either from out of a fullness uh, of a really rich time of studying and, and you're just so full up that it's just spilling out all over everybody. That's, that's one way. The other time that God really... Um, uh gives you something to say is out of your emptiness and uh <clears throat> when You are spent and don't have anything left, and then God pours something into you. Today is the latter, (laughs) Uh, so I'll say that by way of disclaimer. We'll see where this goes, but uh, don't think that I am up here as the resident expert on anything that I'm talking about. I am learning this with you, and so we'll we'll walk through this together and see what the Lord does with it. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of, of your presence that you did not abandon us to scramble and search and, and look for you uh, in, in stars or rocks or volcanoes or whatever, but you revealed yourself plainly to us, and you came and you walked with us and you talked with us and you ate with us and you loved on us, uh, and you still want to do that. So we thank you for that. Thank you for that invitation and uh, help us to, uh, to receive you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the... Uh, the popular evangelical refrain that you've heard no doubt over Anytime, if you've been around church at all for any part of your life, you've heard somebody say, Brother, do you know Jesus? And if you happen to have had the privilege of listening to the great S.M. Lockridge in his uh, uh, speech, you can look him up on YouTube later if you want to, about as he goes on for seven and a half minutes to, trying to describe Jesus to you, you, ought to, you really owe it to yourself to listen to this. But uh, over and over, do you know him? I wonder, do you know him? And, and that's an appropriate question. Um, to to ask. we're supposed to know Jesus, right? I mean, that's our calling, that's our invitation, is to know Jesus. But there's a problem with that, uh, particularly for us in in our culture. And, And the problem with this is, you know, in Western culture, we are sitting at the end, kind of the end of the Enlightenment thinking and modernism, which taught us that... Uh, our, our intellect and rational knowledge was all that we needed to discern anything about the world that there was to know, right? I mean, that all you needed was the scientific method, logic and reason, and you can solve the mysteries of the universe. That's all you need. And so when we say something, well, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Our tendency is to simply intellectualize that question, right? We, we just make that an intellectual Knowledge and and there's nothing wrong with that certainly. But when you look at how we've structured ourselves to say to to find out about Jesus, then you, we we do what we do Bible studies right. And we do, uh, we learn Greek and Hebrew, if you want to get real serious about it, you know, so you can go back and read in the original languages. Uh, we, we, we read all kinds of extra biblical historical accounts about the time of Jesus and all this. And then we'll, we'll, we'll do things like we may even study logic and, and Christian apologetics, you know, so we have all the answers to all these great questions and so forth. And, and we spend a lot of energy intellectualizing this, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And there's nothing wrong. With those, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. In fact, if you've known me for any amount of time at all, you know that I've spent a great amount of time, energy, and money in in studying a lot of those things. The problem is, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. Uh, When we say, Do you know Jesus? it's not just that. And the verse that I want to look at today, I think, gives us a window into the rest of, of what it means to know Jesus. And we're going to look at just one verse uh, out of Psalm 34, it's verse eight. In fact, it's only going to be half of verse eight. So how long can a sermon be about half of one verse? Right? So, um, so Psalm 34 verse eight, the first half says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now that's a it, it, one of my little pet study things in the Bible is I like finding you know really obscure stuff in the Bible and then just seeing where that takes you. This is one of those. This is pretty obscure. This is the only time that phrase ever shows up. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's not repeated anywhere else in the Psalms, nowhere else in, in anywhere of Scripture is it repeated like that verbatim. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But it's specifically an invitation to experience Experience the goodness of the Lord, right? This isn't, you know, uh, study and know that the Lord is good. That's not what it says. You know, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, if I were to tell you all about my, my mother-in-law's peach blueberry pie made with fresh peaches from Dr. Vandover's peach orchard in Nacogdoches and locally grown blueberries from Nacogdoches County and the way that she her crust is just... Perfect in the whole the little flavor. We could talk about this all day long. And, and some of you might actually go along with me and say, wow, yeah, that really does sound pretty good. But all my talking would be, we could throw it out the door if I just could give you a slice, even a bite. And you would take one bite of that peach blueberry pie and you go, wow. That's one of the most amazing things I've ever put in my mouth and because you've tasted it. You've experienced it. You, don't just, you haven't just heard about her pie. You've now tasted it. And you can say, that is an amazing pie, and it's one of the best things I've ever eaten. And that's the invitation that the Lord gives us here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience the goodness of the Lord. You know, you can, you can know all about somebody and still not know them, right? I mean, if, if you know different languages, like certainly in Spanish, there are two different words for knowing something, right? There's, there's, there's one version of, of to know something that is simply an intellectual head knowledge. But then there's another word that means an experiential personal knowledge of something. And, and in English, we lose that we just, we've got one word to work with and that's it. And you just got to kind of figure it out from there. But in other languages, you get two words and Greek is the same way. You get two words. You know, do you know something here or do you know something from personal experience? And, you know, I, I love baseball, love baseball. And, and I think that Nolan Ryan is the greatest pitcher that has ever played the game of baseball. Now we can argue about that later, but that's my opinion. And I can quote you all kinds of statistics about, you know, the over 5,000 strikeouts and over 300 wins and the seven no hitters. And, and I even got to be there for the seventh no hitter. It was an amazing experience. And I can, you know, I can tell you about his career starting with the amazing Mets all the way through the Rangers and how the Astros gave him to us twice. And that was wonderful. And, And, and all this, and I can, And I can know all about Nolan Ryan, but I've never met the guy. (laughs) I mean, I even get excited when his commercials come on TV. It's like, oh, it's Nolan, all right. But I've never met the guy. So I don't really know him. I know a lot about him. I've even seen him pitch in person when he was a player, I've been around him but I don't know him. I have no personal experience with Nolan Ryan other than from an arm's length at a baseball diamond. That's it. So I can't say that I know him. I just know about him. And the problem with the way that we have talked about, do you know Jesus? And the way that we approach that in our churches and in our Bible studies and in our discipleship groups is we can leave it as a purely intellectual exercise, To where if you know all the facts about Jesus, and you know some key Bible verses about Jesus, and you know all about the prophecies about Jesus, then, well, you know Jesus, right? That's what it can get boiled down to in the way that we go about this. It can stay intellectual knowledge, but we're missing it. We're missing the full picture. That's part of it. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not the whole picture. We're called to taste and see that the Lord is good. When we know Jesus intellectually, we can argue and debate on His behalf. But when we've tasted the goodness of the Lord, well, then we've got a story to tell, right? We've got a story to tell other people. And, you know, you think about in the, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, you know, you look at the examples of the different people, you know, you've got the groups of people that were around Jesus, that knew Jesus, right? They had had experiences with Jesus. And so you've got, obviously, the disciples. And then there's, you know, the Bible talks about the crowds or the followers. There were other people who followed Jesus around that didn't seem to be as connected as the disciples. And, and then you've got, like, the Pharisees, you know, the antagonistic people that were, were against him. And with the, the you know, the Pharisees and, and the disciples, you look at what the two of them did... Later, I mean, the the Pharisees, they did a lot of arguing and debating with Jesus, right? They posed these big theological questions to Jesus and philosophical questions, always trying to box him into a quarter intellectually. And they never were able to do it, but that was what they were always trying to do. They they had this great intellectual knowledge about God. And it it was valid knowledge. They knew the scriptures. They knew them well. Certainly better than any of the disciples knew them. But the disciples... Knew Jesus. They had a story to tell. They had tasted the goodness of the Lord. Right? I mean, there's Matthew sitting there in his tax collector booth, a total outcast. Right? The Romans don't like him because he's Jewish. The Jews have rejected him because he's working for the Romans. He's out there on his own. And what's Jesus do? This teacher of the law? Matthew, I'm going to come to your house tonight, and we're going to have supper at your house. He brings him into the fellowship. That was what Matthew was missing, you know. Peter, James, John, you know. Hey, throw the nets out. <laughs> Jesus, we're the fishermen here. You're not, but okay, whatever. All of a sudden, it's more fish than they'd ever seen in one catch. What does fish equal to a fisherman? Money, right? It's provision, and, and, and what a blue collar guy is always worried about. Provision, <laughs> and and Jesus is telling these guys, "I got it." You come with me, you'll be fine. I got you covered. They had this personal encounter with the goodness of the Lord, and they had a story to tell. So, who changed the world afterwards? The Pharisees or the disciples? <laughs> the guys that could argue and debate or the guys that just had a story to tell? Well, obviously, right? It was the guys with a story to tell. And you think about Peter. You know, when you've got a story to tell, when you have tasted the goodness of the Lord, you never get over it. You never get over it. You cannot get over it. And you think about Peter, and he's sitting there, and, and, and the Lord's come back, and he's looking at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, Lord. Well, then feed my sheep. You know, you know the story. Peter, do you love me? I just said, yeah, yeah, I still do. Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know I love you. Go and feed my sheep. Once for each of the times Peter denied him, Peter never got over that. He never, ever got over Jesus embracing him and forgiving him and saying, Peter, I love you. Now go feed my sheep. He couldn't get over it. It wrecked him for the rest of his life. That was it. He was done. From that point on, Peter was a different guy and he never looked back. Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Never got over that. It wrecked him forever. You know, from a worldly perspective, it ruined his life, right? I mean, his career was over. You know, he, he went back to making tents for a while, and then he was just kind of a vagabond after that, right? I mean, it wrecked his whole world. He never got over it. He had a story to tell about the goodness of the Lord. And it, it changed the lives of a lot of people because he had that experience of the goodness of the Lord. He gives you a story to tell, and listen to the kind of things that he likes to do. I mean, just before the verse, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, there's four verses before that. It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That sounds nice. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. And we've talked about this before. You know, This is not sitting around waiting patiently. The, the words here mean I was striving and reaching for the Lord. So don't think about, you know, kids waiting in line or something. This is, I'm reaching for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, right? He delivered me so that I could sing his praises, because now I've got a story to tell people. I can go tell my story. I was here, and the Lord heard me. Now I'm here, and man, is he good. Man, is he good. Never get over it. Uh, you think about uh, probably one of the best examples of this I can think of from the New Testament, remember the guy that was hanging out in the tombs on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that was running around naked, slashing himself with pieces of pottery? You know, Kind of a uncomfortable guy to be around, I think we could say, yeah? I mean, if we walked into our midst right now, we'd probably, uh, okay, <laughs> how do we handle this? And the disciples were no different. They didn't know how to handle tomb guy, but, but Jesus did. And, and so Jesus, and this is one of the richest stories in Scripture. We could camp out on this story for a long time. But, but the, in a nutshell, Jesus delivers this guy from the demonic possession that had overtaken him and was wrecking him, delivers him from that. And, and and he's sitting there, and now he's, he's eating with Jesus, and he's cleaning up, and, and so the people there are scared to death of Jesus because they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're not with Jews at this point. They're on the other side. You can even capitalize that when you read that story, the other side. You know, that's like, it'd be like, I don't know, to Seguin or something, I don't know, it's, but it was the other side, okay, so it, it's, it's not where good Jews went, okay, good Jews don't go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, it was a joke, it's just a joke, it's a... so, but there they are, and there's tomb guy, and nobody's surprised, because you're on the other side, and this is what people on the other side are like, right, they're all like this tomb guy, is it, you know, because it's the other side, and we don't go over here, because we're good Jews. And, and Jesus completely ignores that they're on the other side. It's like he doesn't even realize that it's the other side. And it's almost like maybe he thinks every side's his side or something crazy like that. And, and so there they are. And he's healed from these demons and the swine go running into the sea and the, you know, the whole pig and Jew thing. You can play with that on your own. That's, there's so much there. But he, he's sitting there and, and the people from the town come to him and they say, Jesus, you need to leave. Because you came from over there, and this guy that we all knew is now fine, and all those 2,000 pigs in Pigs to a Pig Farmer, again, equal right money. They're now gone, and it was just because you said something, and so you scare us you've got something that we don't have and we would like for you to leave because you're not one of us. You're from, you're from over there and we would like you to leave. And Jesus does a remarkable thing at this point. What's he do? He says, okay. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't launch into a sermon, you know, or start casting out all the demons around. No, he just says, okay, come on guys, it's time to go. All right? And so tomb guy's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey Jesus, <laughs> I, can I come with you too? I want, to, I want to do that, I want to, because you've changed me, and I want to go with you, because if you leave me here, they still remember me like I was, and that wasn't real pretty. So I'd like to come with you. I want to follow you. I'm going to walk the aisle and make a profession of faith and say, I'm yours, Jesus. I, you know, yeah. What's Jesus telling? him? He says, "Huh, uh uh-uh. You stay. And he says this, says, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. Go tell your story. That's Jesus. He's the first commissioned missionary. (laughs) The first commissioned evangelist. And he's from the other side. And he just got, does he know scripture? He doesn't know Jack. He has no idea. But he's got a story to tell, doesn't he? He's got a story to tell of the goodness of the Lord. And so, skip over a few chapters in Mark, and the next time Jesus comes back to the other side, what happens? It's the second miraculous feeding. There's over 4,000 people that show up. The first time he showed up over there, they all asked him to go home. The next time he shows up, they all want some of what he's got. Well, why do you think that happened? It's speculation, but I think it might be in large part because Tomb Guy went around and told his story. There's nothing else in there to give us any hint as to why, but here's Jesus telling the guy, go tell your story. And a few chapters later, he comes back and 4,000 people show up to hear what Jesus has to say and to get some of what he's got. I think they heard the story. I think they all knew who Toon Guy was and they heard his story about, wow, look what the Lord did for me. Look at what the goodness of the Lord did for me. They're like, you know, he may come from the other side, but if I can get some of what he got for you, I'm there. I don't care where he's from. I want some of that. Sign me up. He had a story to tell. That's the invitation that we have. The invitation is that the Lord will will lift our burdens, that he will heal, that he will deliver that he will lighten our load, right? I mean, that's, that's what he's talking about. Uh, Jeremiah uh, 31, there's this neat passage where it says, Judah and all its cities will dwell together in it, the farmer and they who go about with flocks, for I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. Does that sound good? Would you like a story about the goodness of the Lord satisfying your weariness and refreshing you when you languish? Remember the the promise of Isaiah 40, those who wait upon the Lord will rise up with wings like eagles, right? Run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Jesus was asked by John's disciples, are you the guy or is there somebody else? Go tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame are healed. The deaf hear. The poor have the gospel preached to them. They get a story about the goodness of the Lord. And so we've got a couple of things that I want to do this morning. Uh, But the first is, I I think that there might... I mean, if if your life is anything like my life, and our lives are all pretty similar... uh, there might be a burden that you're carrying around, uh, something that uh, is causing you to languish. And, and let me, you know, as, as a way of another disclaimer, our tendency, or at least my tendency, is to want to think, you know, God, you know, far be it from me to cry and complain because look how blessed I am, and. And, you know, I, I mean, for crying out loud, we all live in the United States of America, right? We've got great roads, clean water, and every time we flip the switch, the lights come on, and we don't worry about things like that. And, and that's unique in the world, and we don't understand that really, but it is. And so, you know, how blessed are we, you know? And so forgive me, God, for even bothering to com- you with my little petty complaints. But here's the problem. Even though we are blessed, and we are all blessed, there's no question, sometimes we've got... Burdens or a burden that we're carrying around that becomes so heavy and occupies us so much that we lose the joy of the blessings that we've been given. And it's not that we're not blessed, because we are, but we lose the ability to enjoy those blessings. The joy is robbed because of the burdens that we're walking around with. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the invitation we have. The invitation is to lay those burdens down. We could sing the old gospel song here if you want to, I don't know. But to lay down our burdens. And the Lord says, I want to take those. I want to refresh you. I want to give you a story to go tell about the goodness of the Lord. So for the next few minutes, what I would like to do is, uh, and maybe Benji, you can find some background music or something like that quickly. Um, but I would like to take the opportunity that in, in for us to pray for each other. And so if, if you're one of those folk that are walking around with a heavy load that is robbing you of the ability to enjoy the blessings that you have been given. I think what the Lord's saying to us today is, I want to take that. I want that. And I want you to know the goodness of the Lord. And if you would, maybe just stand up and then if as you see these folks standing, if if you're not one of those folks, then that's that's great. And so let's pray for them and come around them and just pray for them, and let's spend some time, and I'll, I'll start us, I'll, I'll, I'll pray to start us, and uh, maybe if we, we all stood, and then if you want to, maybe that would be better, why don't we all stand, and if you're one of the folks that needs some prayer, sit back down, and the folks that are standing will come to you, how's that? So everybody stand, I'll pray to start us, and then um, if you'd like some folks to pray for you, uh, for to for the, ask the Lord to give you a story to tell of his goodness and mercy, then, then sit back down and we'll come pray for you and then we've got one more thing we'll do. So Father, oh, we thank you. We thank you so much that you are good and that you are love and that it breaks your heart when our hearts are broken because you love us like a father loves his children. And so we just invite your Holy Spirit to minister to us, we invite your Holy Spirit to uh, give us an encounter with you, to give us a story to tell that we can't get over, that we just we have to go tell people. We thank you that, that we know we're, we're praying. In your will because you've called us to do this and this is the kind of stuff you like to do you love to set things right in our world so we just want to give you that space to do that today right here, right now and help us to be not ashamed if we need prayer and help us to be bold in praying for others and take part in the process that you have begun in lifting those burdens and giving us a story to tell We love you, in Jesus' name. So if you'd like prayer, sit back down. And uh, as you see people sitting down, let's go pray for them. And then in a few minutes, we'll wind up with communion. Thank you, Benji.